You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get to where you're going. On this edition of Commute, a colony of ants has potentially discovered the fountain of youth, but is extending your life all it's cracked up to be? In the 90s, they were second only to Nike in the basketball shoe market. But after falling into obscurity for a number of years, is the company And One poised for a comeback? Can the brand be relevant again? Can you ever totally disappear from the internet? Probably not, but you can get really close. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. Jay, I know that you have heard the old adage, the old saying, and and actually, why don't you complete this? The only two guarantees in life are death and taxes. Bingo! Death and taxes. We all get older, and spoiler alert, ain't none of us getting out of here alive. We all wrestle, and some of us more successfully than others, I'd say, with the aging process, right? Yeah, I mean, I think every single stage of life kind of has its own way of sort of dealing with that. We've actually discussed this on Commute. Episode number 43, a segment that you did, discussed the future of aging and how some members of high society, the wealthy 1%, are constantly looking for ways to delay their eventual exit from this world. They're looking for ways to prolong their lives. Well, Jay, there's a reason in The Lion King they sang that beautiful song, The circle of life. We're born, we die, and thus life keeps moving in the direction of that great circle. Today, though, we're going to discuss how a certain species of ant could be a clue to what happens if we were to mess with that circle. What if we really, 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 really prolonged our lives? What might slowly start to happen if we break a circle that shouldn't be broken? Is that ominous enough for you? <laughs> Excited for you to do this because I don't know if we've ever talked about this before, but whenever I was a kid, I got like weirdly obsessed with ants. I'm not like, shocked I don't know why. Like, at all about like, that. Do I was a big on farm. <laughs> I was like big on animals, like in general, and then like for some reason, I just like really fixated on ants. Did you have a big farm? Uh, I I did have the farm. I had like a few ant hills that I kind of nursed out in our yard too. You know, I was just like really into ants for a while. This is like a phase. Jay, Jay, we're gonna do the movies. (laughs) I'm like, mom, I'm watching ants. I'm trying to watch. I'm trying to find the queen. Well, Jay, let's start this story by heading deep into the forests of Germany to meet a certain species of ant. The Timnothorax, which, quick editing note, I will be shortening this to the Tim ants from here on out because I really, really, really don't want to say Timnothorax over and over and over, and it's our show and we can do such things. So apologies to people like yourselves, ant lovers out there. I see you. I hear you. Just vibe with me here. So Jay, actually the lifespan of ants in general is pretty interesting, even without the Tim ant. Queen ants rule supreme over any ant kingdom, and the queen can live a really long time, in some cases up to 20 years, while worker ants typically only live a few weeks, very rarely surviving more than a month or two. And under typical circumstances, the Tim ants 
live just like your average ant, the ants from the Jasus and Ant Farm. They reside in ant communities ruled by one queen and spend their entire lives either tending to ant eggs or leaving the ant hill to forage the surrounding areas for food or supplies. Any normalcy for a Tim ant, though, goes out the door when and if they ingest a very specific type of organism, a tapeworm egg-infested piece of food foraged in from one of their ant brothers or sisters. The parasite-infested piece of food hatches inside the ant after they digest it. And that, Jay, is where things get really weird. Some other parasites do extend lifespans. Parasite expert Shelley Adamano told The Atlantic, but not like this. Jay, these parasites permanently set up shop inside the ant host. And in return for the comfy accommodations, the parasite offers the ant something very peculiar a ticket to an extremely long life. Researchers that contributed to a study published in the journal Royal Society Open Science spent three years studying Tim ant colonies and compared infected ants with the parasite to ones that were parasite-free. The conclusion of the study left the research team in shock. All uninfected ants had died, living the typical lifespan of an ant, while over half of the infected ants were not only still alive, their bodies showed zero signs of aging. And Jay, they didn't just outlive the other ants. They were living like royalty. I'm like on the edge of my seat right now. I have to know more. Jay, the infected ants spend their days doing zero work, were actually fed by the other ants, couldn't be bothered to lift food to their mouths, and were carried from place to place, a treatment that the queen ant typically doesn't get. In fact, they were treated better than the queen, and they gave zero in return to the colony. They contributed absolutely nothing. At first, the researchers, while understandably amazed by this, saw no downside. The infected ants were treated like royalty, sure, but the colony didn't seem to suffer as a consequence. Eggs were laid and food was collected. It wasn't until the team looked closer to the body of research that the fairy tale began to come undone. Scientists think of insect colonies, Jay, like that of the ants, as one social insect, meaning that no one ant ever acts alone. When one ant moves or does something, the others around it react to it. The colony acts as one organism in many ways. The parasites disrupted everything about this. They had traded a long life to the ant for a complete puppet master level of control over the colony. The uninfected ants worked harder than usual and as a result died very quickly. The infected ants became more like robots. In fact, they had no fear of predators as they aged allowing the parasite to eventually move on from the ant and into something bigger, like a bird, for example. And and there's one part of the research where the scientists talk about uncovering an anthill, and as the ants ran away from them, a whole group of ants, ants that were infected by the parasite, just stood there and waited to die. (laughs) So, Jay, while the parasite giving the Tim ant near immortality is amazing, it's also ultimately devastating to an ant colony. So before we humans try to develop a way to live forever, perhaps we should look down as opposed to looking up and learn from our friends the long-living yet ultimately tortured Timmons.
I think it's safe to say that the ants have developed like some sort of religion here centered around the Tim ants. Like they see them as some sort of like godlike creatures or something. So, Dave, in this next segment, we're going to talk about the basketball clothing and apparel company And One, which isn't really at the level now that it was in the 90s and the 2000s. And I wasn't really a big And One person, but I know that you were, but I know that it also caused a little bit of conflict in your family. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I was a huge And One fan, a child of the 90s, loved athletic wear in general. I would actually wear basketball shorts under my jeans to elementary school. And then when I'd get to school, I'd take off the jeans because my mom wouldn't let me wear them because it was so cold. (laughs) But I've only... So so my mom is a very sweet, understanding lady. She's incredible. She's only really been mad at me a couple times in life. And two of those times were over shirts that I purchased. One of them was a shirt from Hooters at Myrtle Beach, uh, which she uh, was very (laughs) upset about me trying to wear to school. The second one was over an an and one shirt. I bought an and one shirt, okay? And (laughs) I can't. It's ridiculous to think about. I'm sorry I'm making you say this. I I bought an and one shirt. I don't get embarrassed. I'm not really embarrassed, but my face is hot. That said, God rested on the seventh. (laughs) Because he played me on the sixth. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> I mean, is there anything worse than that? You got to wonder, like the people who wrote <laughs> that. It's like, what were they thinking? Like, we're just saying we're good at basketball. Like, they took it to this like weird level. I'm not Catholic, but I need to go to confession. Well, and one, it's a basketball merchandise company, and it was a startup founded in Philadelphia in 1993, founded by a man named Seth Berger who would actually cash out about a dozen years later before he even turned 35, right when And One was solidified as the number two basketball shoe seller only behind Nike. Berger and his two friends, Jay Gilbert and Tom Austin, they started the company because in their mind at the time, basketball was huge, but Nike and Adidas were primarily focused on marketing their products through NBA stars. The And One brand would be centered around marketing to street ballers, people who played in rec leagues and in gyms. And to Berger, this market was kind of untapped. They loved basketball and they wanted to represent the sport, but they didn't necessarily identify with the big NBA stars. The company sold basketball-branded shoes, gym shorts, and shirts with basketball cliches on them that became really popular in the 90s. Many of the shirts featured their signature character, a mysterious, faceless figure only known as the player, and sort of embodied this cultural movement of attitude graphic tees, similar to brands like No Fear and Big Dog, which sort of are meant to like low-key insult the person reading the shirt. So I scoured the internet, Dave, and some of the most devastating insults on and one shirts that I could find, I put together in a list. So the first one is, here's $5, go buy a game. (laughs) This one I love. What's wrong? Mama forgot to pack your game. It's just like, it's (laughs) so devastating. Call me the surgeon. I just took your heart. (laughs) I saw a picture of your game on a milk carton. And I'm a bus driver. I take everyone to school. I think there was also one that, something about a mom's wig. It was like, my my game's tighter than your mama's wig. And it was like the guy taking a wig off of a woman. (laughs) I would be surprised if that really existed. I think that's Uh, a real one. I'm going to find that one. (laughs) 
Well, and one, they also really benefited here in like this shift that was going on in retail culture at the time. Uh, the shopping mall was becoming the primary distributor of clothing in the United States during the 90s. And people were rapidly moving away from expensive and limited selections in retail stores in favor for like cheap and wide selections available at mall stores. So a year after starting the company, and one had a revenue of $1.7 million. Then $5.9 million the next year, $14 million the year after that, $42 million in year four, and then $70 million by year five. The company got NBA star Larry Johnson in their shorts. They signed Stephon Marbury and Latrell Sprewell, and then they really hit it big when Vince Carter wore the and one Tai Chi shoes when he made his signature famous dunk no to win the 2000 NBA Slam Dunk Contest. Wow, I had yes, no idea. he's wearing and one Tai Chi's in that photo that we all know of him moving the ball through his legs to dunk and win that contest. And this signature moment in Vince Carter's career, it helped push and one to these new heights of marketing. You know, suddenly every basketball player in America, they had to get their hands on a pair of and one Tai Chi's. The company even sponsored a street ballers tour that was sort of like a mashup of a hip hop concert and a Harlem Globetrotters game. They sponsored the creation of a video game. They even put out mixtape highlight reel videos that included songs from Snoop Dogg and Common and Method Man. Uh, revenue peaked around the mid 2000s at $250 million. And it was then in 2005 that Burger sold the company to spend more time with family. So from there, the brand has changed hands many times, but it is still, believe it or not, Dave, an active brand today. After some down years where the company sort of faded from the public consciousness, the brand has sort of been revitalized under their current owner, Galaxy Brands. Douglas Spitzer, a partner at Catch New York, a marketing agency that helped Galaxy relaunch and one, said this in 2013, the brand grew too fast for its own good. After the original owners sold the brand, the next groups lost the ability to control the brand and to keep to the core of what the, it was all about. They tried to fill shelf space instead of properly investing in design. They started to imitate rather than innovate. Now, while they're moved away from the attitude graphic tees in lieu of just more muted, straight-up producer of basketball shoes and clothing... There are currently over 100 high schools and AAU teams that are sponsored by And One, and you can find their products being sold in Walmarts across the country. Their overall revenue is about $140 million, and a couple NBA stars today still wear And One. Uh, Kevin Garnett, for example, wore the Tai Chi's in a 25-year anniversary reboot campaign, and today a handful of players such as Lance Stevenson and your boy Fred Van Vliet, who I know you yeah, love, I do. have teamed up with the brand. And while it may seem like Nike and Adidas sort of own the market here, and there's no room for anyone else, the rise of other brands in recent years like Under Armour, it kind of proves that there is still space in the market for quality products. So all this being said, Dave, I know it's been a few years, but are you ready to buy into And One again? Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> but did your mom make you get rid of the shirt or do you Oh, 100%. I, th I think she made me throw it away in her presence. So she yeah, could see did, did she make you throw it away like in front of a preacher or something? Like you had <laughs> to like should've. confess your sin. She should have. As a father myself now, she should have. Jay, I don't think it will shock you, and I don't think really anybody would argue with me, with the phrase, the internet is forever. 
If you post something, there's a good chance it's never going to go away. I mean, I'm sure you yourself have been embarrassed by something you posted on Facebook, maybe in college, that's come back to haunt you years later. Yeah, the first time that I ever realized this was whenever I got my first teaching job back in 2012. I was 23 years old, started teaching at a school, and it was a high school, and the kids that I, were te- that I was teaching, they were like 17, 18 years old. About three days into teaching, all these kids had found every trace of me that existed on the internet. They found my old MySpace profile. They found old YouTube videos I'd uploaded of me singing when I was like 17. They found all <laughs> this super embarrassing stuff. So that night, I just had to do like a deep clean of the internet. I had to go in. I was like looking up old passwords to like delete YouTube channels. I was like trying to delete all my MySpace stuff. It was just like a scrub of me off the internet as much as I possibly could. (laughs) Well, I think everybody has a story like that. And Jay, you actually brought this to my attention. You told me about something a little while back that I thought was really funny and really interesting. You told me that Beyonce once tried to get some very unflattering photos erased totally from the internet, which I subsequently researched and found to be true. Jay, the photos in question are from Beyonce's 2013 Super Bowl halftime performance. The pictures, which are very, very funny, make her look, I don't know, human? BuzzFeed posted the pictures on its account in a story titled The 33 Fiercest Moments from Beyonce's Halftime Show directly after the game. And soon thereafter, as in like two hours later, they received an email from Beyonce's PR team that said in part the following. There are some unflattering photos on your current feed that we are respectfully asking for you to change. I am certain you will be able to find some better photos. And then they went on to outline the photos they didn't like, requesting that they be deleted. BuzzFeed, in response, did nothing. Other internet sites and countless blogs quickly followed suit and published the same photos along with their own commentary on how, sorry Beyonce, the internet is forever. And Jay, these photos are still out there, and they will always be. They're not going to go anywhere. So if even Beyonce can't get something erased from the internet, could we? Is it possible in 2022 to disappear completely from the World Wide Web as if you've never existed? Well, sadly, no. You can't ever totally wipe yourself from the internet. But if you've ever considered trying, here are the steps that experts say you can take to get really, really close. Are you ready? Here we go. Number one. Delete or deactivate your shopping accounts, social media accounts, and web service accounts. Aside from the big ones, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, how many old accounts might you have? Jay, you referenced MySpace, MySpace, Tumblr. Just because you haven't used it in 15 years doesn't mean it's gone. How about your online shopping accounts? Macy's, Gap, Jay, and for you, perhaps places like Spencer Gifts. Log into these sites and delete your shopper profile. You know I wasn't allowed to shop at Spencer's Gifts. (laughs) (laughs) You would have been in more trouble going into Spencer Gifts than me buying the M1 shirt. Number two, remove yourself from data collection sites. Now, this one, Jay, I think we both should do. If you're like me, you probably get random calls from Alaska every day saying that your car warranty is about to expire or perhaps calls from Canada saying that there's a warrant out for your arrest. Listen up. There are companies out there that collect your info and sell it, and they're called jerks. 
No, I'm just kidding. They're called data brokers. Sites like whitepages.com and peoplefinder.com will actually delete your info and stop selling it if you ask them to. But it's very hard. It's a major hassle. And I'm not kidding about this, Jay. Some of them actually require you to fax in your request for them to stop (laughs) selling your information. I recommend hiring someone like the website deleteme.com to do it for you. Number three, remove your outdated search results. Let's say once upon a time you worked for a company and were listed on their website. You quit. They took you off. Yet you can still Google yourself and the company name and you pop up the junior accountant with acne and a bad haircut. If that happens, it means that the old version of the website is still cached on Google's servers. Google, to its credit, because this happens a lot, has a URL removal tool to take that cache out, and this is available to you. Just search for the Google URL removal tool, submit the old link, and wait for Google to work its magic. And finally, number four, and Jay, this is the hardest if you really want to get yourself off of the internet. Remove your email addresses. Jay, what was your first email address? So I uh, ran cross country in middle school. So I think my first email, it was also my first screen name on AIM. I think it was something like XC Trailblazer 89 or something like that, which is like really embarrassing and self-indulgent. That's really not that bad. Yeah. Mine was uh, mine was um, <laughs> playerhater5 at hotmail.com, which probably still exists. And Jay, while these four steps are very important steps to take, erasing yourself from the internet is really difficult. And now with the rise of family history and DNA sites like 23andMe, some information lives on forever regardless of what you do. So essentially what you're telling me is uh, what you open the segment with. It's that the internet doesn't forget that what I put on the internet is there forever. I'm honestly kind of disappointed, though, that your first email addresses, A, didn't have anything to do with Boy Scouts, and B, didn't have anything to do with ants. Yeah, like Ant Farmer, uh, (laughs) Ant Farmer 89 or something like that. Ant Farmer Dude, Ant Farmer Scout. (laughs) And that's it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out. We're on social. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jason, and I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. So I did go look online uh, at some and one shirts, and I think the one about my game's tighter than your mom's wig is actually real, unless I'm like being punked right now. I told you. And there's a lot of, like they went on this weird phase where they made shirts that like went at your mom and they went at like your relationship. So it was like, (laughs) if you had my game, you'd still have your girl, like stuff like that. Like they were coming at your relationship or something. Most of the guys that were wearing that one, you weren't worried about. (laughs) 